Um, I'm glad that you are staying with us, and I am excited to talk about a new series that we're going to be doing over the next several weeks called Emotions. And I shared a little bit about this last week, uh, where we were headed, Um, and I really believe that even though right now the numbers of active cases in Chattanooga is the highest it's ever been, uh, my hope I say I believe. I don't. I'm not a scientist nor a doctor. My hope is that as the vaccine rolls out and as summer then begins to come into play, we will begin to see numbers subside, and then we will. They will not return to where they are right now. That's my hope. That's everyone's hope, I guess. Um, but um, not knowing when we're going to be able to return to full in-person ministry, I do want to begin to prepare us for that time because I believe that will be in the next few months. Um, In order to do that, as I shared last week as well, there are a number of um, realizations that many of us have come to over this last year uh, when forced to create margin within our lives to stop and basically ask the question, is this how we want to move forward? Do we want to get back to 2019 as fast as possible? And while certainly there are those that that do, uh, I love the opportunity to take time to stop and to think and to process. And when you're just running from week to week, especially if you're bivocational or even if if you're just working full time, it's easy to get caught up in that week to week. We just keep doing what we're doing. And as I've said before, you're going to hear me repeatedly talk about the tribe of Issachar that said they could read the signs of the times and they instinctively knew what Israel should do. Well, we've been trying to read the signs of the times now for the past year. And while many indications are that whenever we return to everything opening up and we lose the fear of COVID-19, the reality is some things are going to change while some things are going to go back to exactly where they were before. Uh, What I want to do in these next few weeks is have a chance for us to process together as a congregation, as a people, how are we feeling about things? How are we processing what we've been through? Uh, You know, 2020 was a year that a lot of people want to forget. 2021 has a lot of hopes. We're a, a week and a half into 2021, and it looks like it's part two, right? So how do we process what we're going through? And I stumbled across um, another pastor who did um, kind of a short series on emotions. I wanted to do something a little broader. Um, But Bill Gautier, he did a study of the emotions of Jesus, and he came up with 39 emotions of Jesus that you can find throughout the New Testament. Of those 39, he grouped them into 11 kind of core emotions that Jesus demonstrated, which I, I love and I find fascinating because we often picture Jesus as this stoic, serious, uh, you know, he just kind of floats where he goes. He drops some um, absolute truth and then he kind of floats away. But that's not the Jesus of the New Testament. The Jesus of the New Testament is engaging. He laughs. He gets angry. He struggles with anxiety. It's incredible that when we read through and scripture tells us Jesus was literally acquainted with everything that we are acquainted with. The same struggles that we have, the same feelings that we have. We, we tend to ignore that because he was the perfect 
Son of God. Clearly, he was never anxious about anything, and yet he was. Surely, he didn't get angry about anything, and yet he did. So our hope in going through the emotions of Jesus is to identify within us some of the emotions that we deal with, but also how do we deal with these emotions? Because one thing that we cannot do is be driven by how we feel. Now, if you are a parent and you were driven by how you feel, a lot of our kids would probably be raised um, without you, right? Like they, all of our kids at some point have gone through some level of getting picked on at school or that, you know, they've, you know, someone's been mean to them. And, and our first instinct is anger, right? How dare you hurt poor little Johnny or, or, or whatever. I remember one time, got really frustrated. Jonathan had just started playing football and and he was little. He was maybe eight years old. And so it's that kind of that age where the kids go running around the football field and their helmets like bigger than the rest of their body. And they're like big bobbleheads running down the field. You just hope that they can not fall down because it takes five of their friends to come by and help them get back up. It's just really comical to watch. I, I remember one game in particular, we played this kind of select team, like this local, you know, we were peewee football, but this one local team decided they were going to bring all the ringers in. So all their kids were like twice as tall as, as ours, and they were these big, beefy kids, and then we had these little bobbleheads on our team running around, and it became very clear very quickly the coaching on the other team. So... In peewee football, there are no targeting calls, right? That, they, they don't do that. But very quickly, we could see they were targeting these kids to hurt them. And eventually, of our team of about 12 kids, like, you know, half of them were having to come out because of injuries. And some of the coaches on the other side of the field were laughing and saying their hope was that, um, that we would just quit, and, and which we did because half our team was hurt. We were like, we're not playing this anymore. I, I will just tell you the anger that I felt watching little Jonathan and his little bobblehead getting targeted like all the rest and these kids limping off and crying and the sense of satisfaction on these coaches' faces. Like I was ticked off. As we walked around to leave the stadium and we walked by those coaches, I want you to know how I felt. Like, I felt like this was the last day that these two men were going to experience life on earth. I was so ticked off. As we walked by and they had smirks, I mean, I've, I, I guess I am sheltered, but to see that level of animosity towards these little eight-year-old kids who were playing football, like, I wanted to take out all my frustration on them, and you'll be happy to know that I didn't. Because one thing that's important about emotions and what Jesus shows us about feelings are that feelings can be a really wonderful thing, but they cannot control our lives. We have to be in control of our emotions, not letting our emotions be in control of us. Had I allowed my feelings to dictate my actions, I would probably not be a pastor today. This, you know, lunatic looking face would be all over the Times Free Press. You know, local dad um, sends two coaches to the hospital. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be local dad, it'd be local pastor, right? Local pastor sends two coaches to, to the hospital and, you know, oh, da, 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 da. So I, As we go through these emotions, it's important that at times we feel deeply. That is a gift from God. Emotions are a gift from God to enhance life, 
but they also have the opportunity to really suck the life out of us too. So we're going to go through a number of positive and negative emotions over these next few weeks, and our purpose is not just that we define them and we're okay with them. Our purpose is to understand them, how Jesus went through them, and then how Jesus calls us to deal with some of these emotions, and how do we push through at times we feel like we just want to quit. And so I thought about starting with anger today, and I thought it might be too early to start with anger based on all the events that are going on in our world. But I thought an equally, an equally important emotion that Jesus showed that surprises a lot of people was anxiety. And we're gonna, so we're going to start with anxiety today. And I'm going to read you a few places of Scripture, but primarily we're going to be looking at one where Jesus <clears throat> demonstrates really a level of anxiety that most of us have never felt. Uh, but it is great anxiety that he went through. It's as we look through the kind of the results of the pandemic and and being quarantined and the financial uncertainty, all of the things we've been through um, over the summer, all the election cycle stuff that we're going through. Every reputable medical, psychological, or any health-oriented group that studies. Anxiety has said anxiety is higher now than it has been in, in recent history. The National Institutes of Health did a study uh, or, or released a study in 2019 saying, on average, 8.2% of the population struggled with anxiety. One year later, in, in, in June of 2020, they did another study, and that number had jumped from 8%, 8.2%, to 36% in one year. 8.2% of people identified as struggling with anxiety in 2019, 36% in 2020. We are experiencing heightened anxiety as we are trying to deal with all of the things that are happening in the world, and most of them we have no control over. So as we go through this, um, I want to, to recognize that I am a pastor, I am not a doctor. Anxiety is a result of many different things. Some people struggle with anxiety because their brains are wired that way. They'll secrete different hormones. All of a sudden, their heart will start beating faster. Their adrenaline starts pumping, and there's no explanation for it. And all it creates is a sense of what's happening. Something bad is about to happen. We recognize that sometimes our anxiety is based on situations like we make bad choices, and now that we're going to have to deal with kind of the, the results of those bad choices, that creates kind of a fear and an anxiousness within us um, because of, of those situations. Uh, sometimes we need to go see a physician about the things that bother us. And so if you are a person who struggles with anxiety on a clinical level, on a chemical, a physiological level, uh, some of what I'm going to say today might be helpful, and some of what I say today won't be helpful because literally your body is working against you. So I in no way want to over-spiritualize what sometimes can be really a physiological response within you. What I want to talk primarily about with you instead is I want to talk about more of the spiritual side and the circumstantial side of life when we are dealing on a regular basis with anxiety and not only are we seeing just in a heightened level of it, uh, statistics show us that in general, if you aren't dealing with it, you will at some point in your life. So how did Jesus experience it? And how does Jesus want us to respond to it? <coughs> Excuse me. I want you to know that there is, without a doubt, um, evidence in Scripture that Jesus 
was not only a feeler, he felt, he felt deeply, he felt often, but Jesus also experienced anxiety. And if Jesus can feel anxiety, we sometimes within the church, we sometimes over-spiritualize things and we say, well, no, if you trust Jesus, then you won't ever fear or you won't ever be anxious. But Jesus felt anxiety. And I want you to know that as, as your pastor and as I would like to consider, not everyone considers me a mature adult. I will admit that. I would consider myself a fairly mature adult. Um, I struggle with anxiety just like many people struggle with anxiety, maybe for different reasons and and certainly to a different depth. But like many people, uh, I have plenty of times that I go through life struggling to just feel at peace with what's going on in the world and in my life. Now, for me, a lot of my anxiety gets wrapped around my ability to provide and care for my family. So, for many that going through this time, <coughs> excuse me, that has been a struggle as well. Just knowing, am I going to be able to pay our bills? Am I going to be able to provide, you know, the kind of life for my family that I want to have? And if, you know, as someone who is self-employed, both as a pastor and in a small business, there's a lot of pressure often to make sure that I can provide. And that along comes with that a great amount of anxiety. Would it surprise you that there are nights that I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep? Would it surprise you that there are times that I am in conflict with somebody and all I can think about in my life is about this conflict, even if I don't really feel like I've done anything wrong? As a pastor, I constantly struggle with uh, what's going on in the church. I I constantly struggle with a lack of unity among believers. I know that not everybody lays awake thinking about that. I lay awake at night thinking about that because I believe that is a calling God has placed on me and us, that we are supposed to be a people that actually live out the teachings of Jesus, which means we should actually love each other and work together and have common goals and common drives that are to know and become more like Christ. I struggle with some of those things. There are times that I... I'm in disagreement with somebody, and they get really mad at me. The nice thing about being a pastor is, is there's always somebody mad at you for something. You know, there's, you've always you're always doing something wrong in somebody's eyes, and it's important that you're not driven by that. But it, I love people, and at times <clears throat> I I'm in conflict with people, and that conflict creates great anxiety for me. And I will, it will keep me up at night and my heart will race faster and my adrenaline will pump and there will be a sense of, I don't like this. I want this to stop and it won't stop. As my older kids are getting ready to move out into college and and, and start moving off into their adult lives, there's a piece of me that just wants to hold them where they are and not let them go whatsoever. Yes, many of our parents who have kids who are graduating are feeling this. I want them to stay. When I think about Jake moving off, that's there's one level of anxiety. When I think about Emma moving off, there's another level of anxiety. When I think about uh, just the life that that Jonathan and Malia have, I've got you know Jonathan, I've got a few more years with him. I'm pretty low anxiety there with Malia. I'm pretty really low anxiety other than. Deidre and I are probably going to, you know, we joke about the 
the assisted living center bus was going to drive us to Malia's, you know, high school graduation, but, uh, but pretty low anxiety. But yet with her, I, you know, I feel called to this conversation on justice and race. And, and I know I'm going to have to have conversations with Malia as she gets older. I didn't have to have with my other kids. So there, there is within all of us and, and those who are seeking to follow Christ who are fairly well emotionally stable and mature adults that struggle with anxiety. And it gives me hope to know that Jesus felt anxiety too. But Jesus felt it in a way I never have. Most of us never have. Let's read together Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 39. And this is Jesus just before he's being arrested. He knows what's coming. He's trying to prepare his disciples for what's coming. They still don't get it. But he himself is going nuts inside. His, his heart is beating fast. The adrenaline is pumping hard. And he gets away with three of his disciples and he says, come on, we need to go pray. And this is what happens. Luke 22, beginning with verse 39. He came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And listen to this. Talk about, talk about anxiety. It says, and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I have never been so anxious that I've sweat what looked like drops of blood. <laughs> I've never been there. Now, maybe maybe you have. And those who struggle with just kind of a generalized anxiety disorder or panic attacks or, or something that you just have a particular phobia over something, maybe you have. I have never experienced that level of anxiety. But what I love about this description about Jesus and Luke is that it portrays Jesus not as this person who's above anxiety, but he is a person who fully experienced it, which is one of the reasons following the teachings and example of Jesus is so important for us. He was not somebody who was aloof and didn't understand what we went through. He knew what it was like to be human. This is why we say Jesus was both fully God and fully human. I love that it says he sweat drops of blood. Not because he was sweating drops of blood. I love it because it shows deep, deep anxiety. Like there's not really a whole lot of debate on this. It's not like we can say, well, you could interpret that as anxiety. No, I, you know, this is pretty much spot on. There's no way to refute. Jesus was struggling. He even went so far as to say, if there's another way, God, let there be another way. I don't know what anxiety you're going through. In general, what our health professionals tell us is if you weren't leading into the pandemic, you are now. I don't know how you're processing the anxiety you're going through. 
One of the ways that I process the emotions I go through is I, I try to look to Jesus and how did he do that? Some of the things we see just in this story alone is Jesus had one practice that he did over and over again. And it was a practice of going to God in prayer. He prayed regularly. It was not something that he just occasionally did because, you know, you're supposed to pray. I mean, I I talk about it, so I guess I should do it. No, for him, this was life. This was hope. And this was a reminder because what Jesus could do is he could have just bolted. He could have said, you know, uh, if God really loves me um, and I believe God is good and doesn't want anything bad to happen to me, this feeling is, to, is something God doesn't want for me, so I'm just going to listen to my anxiety, and I'm just going to slip away. They're asleep. I'm just going to slip away, and I'm going to go to another part of the world, and no one will even know what happened to me. That is not the response that Jesus has. Jesus didn't pull his disciples together and say, guys, I just want you to know how, how rough I'm feeling. I just want you to know how anxious I am. Although I do believe he absolutely told them that. And that's why he went back to his disciples and he said, wake up, guys. Wake up. You need to be praying too. But Jesus prayed to his father. Jesus said over and over again, my purpose in this world is to do the will of my father not to be driven by my feelings. My purpose is to do the will of my Father. Jesus prayed to his Father. Jesus spent time with and prayed with his friends. There are few things that will magnify your uh, anxiety than keeping it all to yourself. When you hide it in here and you put on a brave face and you walk out and you smile, but you're dying inside and you don't let anybody know about that, it it is magnified within you. Now, one of the beautiful things about the teaching of Jesus is that we are in this together. We love each other. He's literally, Jesus literally says the most important thing you can do in all the world is to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, with everything, your body. And the second most important thing you can do, and this, these two things sum up everything in the entire scripture, is that you should love each other. This is the point of life, loving God and loving each other. When we hold that stuff in, we hold it in because we're afraid for people to see it. We hold it in because we're afraid we'll be judged for it. We hold it in because the tentative relationships we have with others... We fear they will reject us because we don't have it all together. But when a person is true to who they are and to their true self, they are not afraid for other people to see what they're going through. Jesus got together and he prayed with his friends and he spent time with his friends. Jesus could easily have said, you guys stay here. I'm going to go pray for a while. I'll see you later. We'll catch up later. No, he said, come with me. You need people within your life that will go with you, that you can be honest about where you are, that they can encourage you. You know what encourage means? It means to take some of my courage and to give it to you. And many times what we need is someone to give us some of their courage when we don't have any of our own. That's one of the reasons it is important that this really, uh, you know, a time when our nation is unrest, that we are very careful about as Christians, recognizing we represent Christ how we deal with people who have different opinions from us. 
Because Jesus has called us to love one another. Now we have differences in opinions, differences in ways of dealing things, different priorities, and different stands that we take. And there is a big enough world for all of that. It is important that we have people that will receive us, let us be authentically who we are, love us, and encourage us at the times that we're struggling just to survive, just to function at times. He prayed to his father. He spent time he prayed with his friends. And this is one of the most important things Jesus does. But one of the things we don't want to have to face is that Jesus acted in spite of his feelings. That's so important. Whether it's at a football game or I'm, I'm about to, to beat some heads of some uh, adult coaches that should know better. Whether it's Monday morning when we've had a rough weekend or a rough week and I feel like I'm going to just stay home and not work at all today. Jesus acted in spite of his feelings. You will not live a full life if you do not act in spite of your feelings. The reality is some of us found our spouse, we married up, and our feelings said, they won't say yes, but you acted in spite of your feelings anyways and asked them out on a date. Or came time to ask them to be your husband or wife and thought, ah, what if they say no? <laughs> this will be awful and then they'll leave me or whatever. But you acted in spite of your feelings and you asked and they said yes. And you experienced probably one of the most wonderful moments of your adult life. There are so many times that we feel something and fear is a strong emotion that is wrapped up in anxiety that we have to act instead of fear. When we look back over the history of the world, great tyrants were repelled by men and women who acted in spite of their fear. If you want to get a picture of what that looks like, Saving Private Ryan was a movie for someone who did not serve in a war or an active military. If you want to see what it, kind of courage it took, I would say is a good representation of, as someone who wasn't there or hasn't been there themselves. My grandfather was. There are times that we have to act in spite of our feelings. Jesus' feeling was this. God, if there's another way... I. I just don't know that I can go through this. And what if Jesus had listened to those feelings and he checked out? Jesus prayed. He went to his friends and he prayed with his friends. And he, he acted in spite of his feelings. So how was Jesus able to do this? This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to leave, give you these three things and we're going to be done. How was Jesus able to do this? Truth number one, Jesus valued a greater treasure than peace in his emotions. Now, peace in, his, in, in emotions, what I mean by that is that you just go through and you always feel good about everything. I don't know anybody that actually lives that way. I mean, you've got to be a special kind of disconnected from the world to go through life and, and just always be like, everything's always great. I, there are some people that seem to, to be not just chemically uh, moved towards anxiety, but some people who seem chemically moved to just 
being happy. I mean, it's really, and it makes everybody else jealous, right? They're just always happy. Like, you know, you just slammed your hand in the car and you just cut off three of your fingers. I know, isn't it great? You know, they just are always happy. That, you know, that would be a wonderful way to be. But a lot of us, and what the world tells you is, life is all about you. You need to orchestrate your life so you are always at peace with yourself. You always feel good, and you don't ever have to experience bad stuff. Wall all that stuff off. And the reality is, is that's no life at all. It's impossible to live that life. You have to live in delusion to live that life. Jesus sought a greater treasure than having peace in his emotions, that he just always felt good. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, and he says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in not ever feeling anxiety or panic, which if you often feel it, it, it's understandable that that you see that as a treasure, But if your treasure is there, your eyes will not be on the way that God is working and calling you to have purpose in this world and in your life. He had a greater treasure than that. Truth number two about how was Jesus able to act in spite of his feelings. Matthew chapter 6 again, just a few verses later, he says, Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now, when he says don't be anxious, he's not talking about that physiological, chemical bend towards anxiety. He's not just saying, because, you know, I know a lot of people that struggle with depression and anxiety and things that are often chemically based. When we as Christians just go and say, well, God said just don't be depressed. Boy, there's probably not a worse thing you can say to somebody who struggles with chemical depression. If you just say, you know what, just don't worry about it. Just don't worry about the fact that your heart feels like it's going to explode and your adrenaline's about to shoot through the roof and and you just feel like at any moment, like the sky is going to fall on me. Just don't worry about that stuff. It just doesn't work. So Jesus is not doing that. He's not just saying, well, just ignore all those feelings. He's talking more about those situational decisions, those situational things. And he's also saying, in general, trust that it's going to be okay. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? or (coughs) What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his king, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. In other words, don't just look around and feel like everything is rough, and so everything is just going to be bad. Trust that God has a better way. Jesus trusted his Father more than his emotions. He trusted that God was going to take care of him. He trusted that God was going to be there for him. And I've heard it said, and I think we have to understand this with a little bit of a grain of salt, that if you want to know what you trust, ask yourself, what do you worry about the most? Whatever you worry about the most is where you have placed your trust. I think we have to take that with a grain of salt 
recognizing that there are lots of things that happen in the world, and, and a lot of times anxiety is hard to pinpoint. I don't know what yours is. Certainly, if you're afraid that the industry that you work in is going to dry up through this pandemic, that's a justifiable cause of anxiety. And I will say this also about anxiety. What I've learned for myself is since I don't struggle with that chemical bend towards anxiety, many times when I feel anxiety, I do believe, excuse me. And let me just say for those of you who are just tuning in, when I cough here and there and you're thinking, why is he there? He could have COVID. I've had it and I'm immune uh, for I don't know how long and until I get a vaccine. So I'm not spreading COVID germs anywhere in our space for the few people that are here. Um, but let me just encourage you that one of the things I've learned about um, anxiety is that sometimes it's the Holy Spirit telling me I need to change something. For example, I've told you that one of the things I struggle with and at times stay up you know, late at night or wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep about, is providing for my family. Now, I could bemoan that, and I could just be petrified by that, and I could just be, oh, woe is me, and I could pray that God would give me a, help me win the lottery or, or whatever. But what it reminds me of is, well, Mark, maybe you have put too much hope in what you're doing right now. Maybe you need to shift your focus to something that's going to provide longer term. There's all kinds of ways that I, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I realize I've gotten a little bit used to not having to go out and sell some of my services as a marketer. Maybe I need to be a little more intentional now and I need to stop waiting for the work to come in and I need to go out and find the work. Sometimes our anxiety reminds us that something's not quite right and we need to do something and and the way we get out of that anxiety is we go do that thing. There's all kinds of things that your anxiety can be teaching you but if we are constantly struggling with anxiety, one of the questions we do have to ask ourselves is, what is it telling me about where my trust is? What is it telling me about where my hope is? Jesus trusted his father more than his emotions, and he told us we should do the same. A third truth, and this is one of the ways that Jesus fights through the feelings and he continues to fulfill his purpose, is that Jesus redirected his anxiety by compassionately serving others. See, anxiety causes us to look inside at ourselves all the time. We're so wrapped up in the fear and the anxiousness and the, and the, the nervousness that we look inside all the time. And when we're looking at ourselves all the time, we rarely have new material to work with to give ourselves different feelings. Jesus constantly kept his focus on God. He constantly kept his focus on others. And even when he said, God, if there's another way, God didn't provide another way. Jesus was the one. He followed through. Matthew 9 Jesus says this, he went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. You won't see other people being harassed and helpless if you are constantly focused on what's going on within you. You will yourself at times feel harassed and helpless. 
Jesus looked out and he looked at what other people were going through. He saw them and they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Keep our eyes focused on the purpose of God and keep our eyes focused on others, not just ourselves. It just doesn't go well in life to keep our eyes focused on ourselves. It just, again, magnifies that anxiety. So here's what I want to wrap this up with. And I hope there are some, maybe some tools for you to move forward, to, to be able to deal with it, to talk about this broad of a subject in, in 20, 30 minutes uh, is really impossible. So I would love to have an ongoing conversation with you if you would like to do that. The reality is anxiety is a fact of life more so than for others. More so for some than for others. Some people, this is every day, every single day. Maybe it's social anxiety. Maybe it's fear that they're going to lose their job, fear that their their spouse is going to leave them, fear that their kids are going to disappear or and they'll never call or whatever. But some people struggle with it a lot more than the rest of us do. It's a fact of life. Trust that God made you and God sees you. Trust that he knows the anxiety that's going on in your heart. He's not just standing out here going, would you get your life together? Jesus never said that. He said, come and follow me. He says, my burden will be light. My yoke will be easy. I will be with you. Siri keeps chiming in on my sermon this morning, by the way. She's got something to say. She, no, she just doesn't understand. It's, I hope that's she's the only one. Trust that God made you and he sees you. He's invited you in a relationship and he's walking with you. Trust that God has a purpose for you. And that voice that tells you, oh, you're too messed up, you're too broken, you can't even keep your life together. God doesn't have a purpose for you. You can't even take care of yourself. God has a purpose for you. There is nothing about you that excludes you from God being actively engaged in your life and having a purpose for you. Trust that God made you and sees you. Trust that God has a purpose for you, but by all means, and as Christians, we must, we must not be ruled by our emotions. Have courage to live a life that is not controlled by your emotions because God is with you. Let me just close by saying this, no matter where you are on the topic of anxiety, if you are someone who historically has not struggled with it and you look down on others that do, understand there are things you struggle with that they don't. That's the way life works. We're not all identical. God is beautiful that way. He creates us in many diverse ways. Have compassion for those who struggle with emotion. If you struggle with emotion and you're trying to figure out how do I move forward and, and I just I, I just don't I feel so alone because that's typically what anxiety says. You're on your own. You are not on your own. God is with you. He sees you. Your church family wants to be with you. And if you're a part of a church family, this is part of your call to encourage, to take some of your courage and give it to those who need it so they can push past the emotions and live a life on purpose. Let us follow the way of Jesus because the way of Jesus is what he has called us to.
So I want to pray with you, especially if you are struggling with this within your own life. And I want you to know there is help out there. If you've never talked to your physician about anxiety, I want to encourage you to make an appointment and go talk about it. They may determine that yours is situational. It has nothing to do with what's going on in your chemistry. But if it is, if it's your body, there's medical help for that. There's also counselors that are available if you're struggling with anxiety and you have so believed the lie that you are alone. Let us help you get some help for that. We would love to pray with you. We want to hear what's going on in your life. And as we move forward in 2021, as we continue to move to that place where we're following him, as we understand the times, we have got to be at a place where our emotions don't drive us. We have courage to move forward. We have to understand what's going on within us. We have to recognize that Jesus understands what's going in us, and he's still calling us. We have to understand that God is going to be with us as we enter into this new year. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that Jesus was both fully divine and fully human. I thank you that he allowed himself to be seen dealing with great anxiety. I thank you for the account in the Gospels that remind us of this today. And I thank you that in spite of those fears and feelings of anxiousness, Jesus pushed through anyways and became the Savior of the world. I pray for those that are struggling with this today, and, and it's not just situational, and, and, and they've had this their entire life, and they've just given up on ever moving past it. I pray that you would give them such a sense of your power, that you are with them, and they are not alone. I pray we would be a people that reveal who we truly are, not a facade or a mask that pretends we have it all together, so that we can fully relate and encourage each other. And no matter what's going to come in these next few weeks or next few months, you are with us. Let us trust you because you alone are worthy of our hope, our faith, and our trust so that we can follow you boldly into what you're calling us to in 2021. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I would love to hear from you if this is something you'd like to talk more about. Next week, we're going to talk about anger. Jesus did get angry. We're going to talk about how he dealt with it, how he worked through it, and how we do that for ourselves as well. All right? Love you guys. We miss you and hope you have a great week.